0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. in heaven we rejoice in this day that you have given us that we might come and stand in your presence as your people we look to you at the beginning of this new year and commend our hearts to you that you would guide us in all things that are done that in this service of worship today you would be honored and glorified and esteemed in our hearts we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us that we would offer up to you acceptable sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving And we look to you as we think about this year ahead, that all that we do and say would be for your glory alone. We pray, Lord, that you would guide each of us and our families in the ways that you know we will walk. We pray that as we look to you that we would do so by faith, and we pray that as we continue on in this year that it will be a time of rejoicing because of your faithfulness and your providence in our lives and in the life of our church. And we join our hearts and our voices together now praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done,
1: on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive
0: our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and, and the power, and, and the glory, forever. Amen. <laughs> this morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe?
1: I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker the of heaven and heaven
0: earth, and, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. (laughs) Hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon from Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Amen. Let's continue to worship now by singing hymn number 427, Amidst Us, Our Beloved Stance. Yeah. <laughs> Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you have so richly blessed each of us. And we thank you that in this service of worship, we may come to this time where we return to you a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. And Lord, as we just sang a moment ago, may we see in the signs of this worship service, not just those signs, but, but you, Lord Jesus, yourself that you have given us a gift, an indescribable gift. And so now we turn in worship to you and in thanksgiving to give our tithes and our offerings. May you bless them that they would be used for the sake of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, that his name might be spread and that lost souls may hear of the good news of the gospel because of our participation in obedience even this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read Psalm 24. It's on page 791 in your hymnal. If you would please turn there as we read together. Psalm 24. I'll begin with the light portion. If you would please respond out loud together with the bold. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. The the of the
1: Lord.
0: Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in His holy place. He, his
1: soul to idol by
0: his he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God His Savior such is the generation
1: of those who see in him. Who see their
0: face from God at Jacob? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this
1: King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in
0: battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in glory. The, the Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Amen. Let's stand together with your hymnal turn to number 420 as we sing together at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. <laughs> This morning for our pastoral prayer time I wanted to pray for uh, Andrew Shepherd, one of our missionaries that we support uh, he is serving through uh, MTW in the Ukraine I wanted to pray for Andrew and for the team that he is working with there also for the students and others that he is interacting with pray for his health in this new year and also that the Lord will continue to provide all the resources that he needs to to serve him there let's pray Our Father, we thank you for this quiet moment to come into your presence. We acknowledge and admit that we do so not because of our righteousness or our good works. We do so because of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, the Paschal Lamb of whom we just sang and praised. We thank you, Lord, that we may come to you offering up our petitions and our requests in your presence, and that we do so with the joy of faith knowing that you hear us as a heavenly father who welcomes his children, sons and daughters of the living God who have been adopted into his family, welcomed into his home and given seats at his table. Lord, we pray this morning with our hearts full of faith, but as we are honest with you and with ourselves, also with concerns and doubts, as we think about the things that have gone on this past week in our own families, in our homes, and among our church family, Lord, we pray that you would, be working in and among us. And we pray for the grace and the mercy, Lord, that you would take away the scales from our eyes, that the veil would be removed, that we might be rejoiced to see your work among us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us where we are weak and frail, where we are unbelieving, where we doubt, where we do not see you and we ache, where we do not hear you and we shudder in our hearts. We pray that you would move among us, that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit on your people, that we would be rejoiced because of your kindness and your goodness to us. Lord, we do pray for Andrew Shepherd. We ask, Lord, that you would provide for him in this new year full support, that his heart and his mind would be able to be fully devoted to the work that you have given him to do. Lord, we do pray for him as a a man and also as a fallen person who, who struggles with sin just as we do by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would give him in this new year victory over sin, that you would cause his heart to be fully devoted to you, not only in his own personal relationship, but also in his work, that as he serves the young people in the Ukraine and his other team members, that he would have great joy and delight in doing it. Lord, I do pray for him in in that country. It is different than home. It's different than being with friends and family who are here and places that are familiar that he could go and retreat. It is quite different. And I pray, Lord, that you would be meeting his needs personally and emotionally and spiritually too. I pray, Lord, that you would use him to share the gospel with people who are hurting, people who have lost loved ones, and people who know that their families are going through a difficult time and many who have lost loved ones in this great conflict. Lord, we pray, as your word tells us to, to pray for our leaders in this country. We lift up our president, our vice president, and all of our leaders in, in both houses, that your work would be done, whether it is for our good, that we might see progress and enjoy progress, or if it would be for judgment. Lord, we pray that you would help us to rejoice in your work in this world, We thank you, Lord, that it is yours, that all the kings of the earth and every nation that is set up and set down is done so at your pleasure and for your glory. We confess we don't understand how this works. We don't understand your timing. Even in our own lives, we struggle to put the pieces together. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that you call us not to understand you, but to obey you and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. I want to invite you to open your Bibles now to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 25. We're going to read this morning verses 6 through 9. Some of it will be familiar because we just read them in the call to worship in the Lord's providence. The sermon this morning is entitled, The King's Feast. Isaiah chapter 25 verses 6 through 9. This is God's inerrant, infallible word to us. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, And the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. In just a few moments, we will celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, this real means of grace that Jesus, in his wisdom and in his love and his generosity, gives to his people, the church. God sets spiritual things for us outwardly. To bring us grace inwardly. He does so outwardly in sensible ways. Things that we can see and touch and taste and smell. So that we might conceive of them. This meal represents the best things in grace. By the best and sweetest things in nature. Consider the bread and the satisfying way that a good piece of bread. Maybe with a bit of warmness and some butter or honey is spread upon it. How it satisfies your soul and your tongue. And a good cup. The Bible says a cup of wine that God promises that he will provide for his people. And when it says on the leaves, he means fine, refined, and well-aged, beautiful, and wonderful, and satisfying to his people. But what if I told you this morning that this table that is before you, this table of the Lord Jesus, is out of reach? Sure, you could participate. You can take a a piece of the bread as it comes by in a few moments. You could take one of the cups. You could drink them and close your eyes when we pray. But it's out of reach for you. The grace is beyond your grasp. In order to receive the grace, you must have a special taste. A spiritual appetite to relish in this feast that God provides. The problem is we are naturally, all of us, distasteful because of our sin. We relish not spiritual and heavenly things. We savor not the things of God. In this meal, we see in ourselves a paradox. People who are sinful and unworthy, who need forgiveness and who are needy, are brought to the king's table and told not to serve, but to be served. Perhaps worse this morning. What if I told you that there's nothing you can do about the distance between you and the grace that is embodied in this feast? That there's no prospect of you being able to use your gifts and your skills to fix your own problem. May the Lord Jesus himself give each of us, all of us need this, the eyes to see and the ears to hear that this is actually good news for us, his children today. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, the choir just sang this How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The Lord Jesus comes to you this morning, proclaiming that good news, proclaiming there is peace with God, that there is salvation. It is possible. The distance has been brought close. You have been brought near by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. You sang about it a few moments ago. The Paschal Lamb is the Paschal Priest. Wonder of wonders. We participate in eternal, heavenly, beautiful things this morning. May the Lord give you and I the grace to participate by faith. I want to give you two reasons this morning, just briefly, why I believe it's good news that you can neither fix your problem and you can neither do anything about it yourself. Number one, from verse six, the king is the host. In verse six, it says that the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast. Have you ever been invited to a meal? We just finished a holiday season. Have you ever been invited to a meal? And when you asked in the polite southern way that we are supposed to, what can I bring? You're told, bring nothing. Doesn't it feel awkward? Maybe just for a moment. In some ways, you're thinking, oh, great, I don't have to think of anything. But in another, you're thinking, ah, I don't know. To contribute is is our way of paying for someone else's generous hospitality, isn't it? I'm not a freeloader. I can come up with something. But to get something for nothing, something for nothing where there's no payment at all, not even in a way that I give back, it seems wrong, it feels off, It things are out of balance, But this meal is a reminder that we have a host at the Lord's table. And the host is not your pastor. The host is not the elders. Uh, Dr. Ferguson says that we are simply God's message boys. His mailmen coming to deliver a message of grace. You're not to see us. You're to see him and his beauty and his excellency. Your host. It's a reminder, too, that as you come to this meal, You are not thrown back on your own resources thinking, I need to work up some good thoughts about Jesus. I need to somehow manufacture an emotional connection with what's about to take place or I will feel false. You are not thrown on your own resources this morning to figure out the Lord's Supper and your participation in it. Jesus, the host, actually doesn't just invite you to a meal. He brings the meal to you. That's what we just celebrated in the incarnation of our Savior. That He came into this world to people who were broken, who hated Him, who are sinners, who need a Savior. And in fact, He brings not only a feast, but the choicest feast. And wonder of wonders, He has paid for all of it. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the prophet asked, why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And why do you spend it for what does not satisfy? This is following up, followed up by Jesus when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Jesus was saying, come and buy. Even if you don't have money, I know that you don't. He's saying, come and eat. I paid for it. This is my meal for you to sustain you, to give you grace, to walk the Christian life, to fight against sin, not so that you hope I love you, but because you know I do. And I paid an ultimate price that you might belong to me. You are to rejoice in this meal. The king is your host. The point of this meal is to actually be in his presence and to enjoy him. Have you ever gone to a meal and thought, I'm so excited to go because I know who's hosting. I love them. I want to be with them. I want to enjoy them. And it's not a manufactured interest in the things that are happening in their lives because they've been so kind to invite you. It is simply because you relish their presence. We're coming today to this table to be fed by him, to be given grace, friends, Children of the living God, Jesus coming into the world shouts testimony to the truth that we cannot do anything about our sin. You coming to this table is acknowledging and admitting Jesus alone was the Passover lamb for me and I am covered in his blood by faith and that is the basis on which I may stand in God's presence and have any hope in a resurrection from the dead. This meal is a reminder of that. But I told you I'd give you two reasons. The second is, not only is the king the host, but he gives us the appetite for it. In verse 7, it says that he will destroy the surface of the covering cast over all people. Have you ever sat down at a meal, and either after you looked at it, or maybe after taking just one bite, you said, I just don't have a taste for this today. Maybe some of your children have said that, Mom, I don't want this, or Dad, I don't like it. But you've eaten it before. Something's changed. I just don't have a taste for this right now. Imagine being at a host's table and having that sense, and maybe even the boldness to say, I don't know that I really want this right now. And the host comes to you and says, No problem, I'll fix it. But rather than taking away that plate, He says, I'm going to fix it by fixing you. Imagine that. This meal is a reminder for each of us that the only solution is for the host to come and alter our taste. Not by removing the plate, but by fixing each of us. Apart from this work, and this is crucial for each of us, and I pray that you hear from the scriptures clearly right now, that apart from this work, the gospel will not be sweet to you. We will not savor the gift of Christ's sacrifice as you consider him hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of his people. It will not move you. I don't mean emotionally, but it will not move you. Apart from this work, we will not savor his sacrifice. His blood and his body will be meaningless to us. Unless he moves his people. There is, according to Isaiah chapter 25, a thick veil over our eyes and our hearts. And unless God does a work to remove that veil, we will not see, hear, and believe. You will see bread and a cup, but it will not be a means of grace to you. It's why we pray every time we partake of the Lord's Supper that the Lord would set apart and sanctify the elements that they would truly communicate to us in communion and fellowship in the presence of our Savior that He will communicate to us the means of grace that we need to be sustained by Him. And it is also a reason to rejoice. He gives us the appetite. The point of this meal is to truly relish God Himself. When you think about the good gifts that God has given to you and to your family. Is it on the top of the list that God gave me Jesus himself? That what was broken and lost in the garden has been restored by Jesus, my Savior. I can now be in his presence. And when he said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of any tree in the garden except one. Do you understand and realize that for whatever reason beyond our comprehension, God delights for us to be in his presence and to enjoy a meal that he has provided? Every tree represented comprehensive, satisfying meals in his presence. He gives that to you today through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He confirms his love for you. As you are doing this, as you are enjoying Jesus Partaking in this supper, he confirms to you in your heart by his spirit that he is the one at work in you. This is a reason to rejoice even in the midst of the supper. As you are touched, as you are moved by God's spirit, it is a reminder, a clear reminder. This is the work of God. I can't do this. I can't work it up. I can't make it happen. Unless God moves, I won't be He furnishes you with a lowly heart and a humble soul, delighting in your own unworthiness, that the Lord Jesus Christ might be to you all in all. This is the wonder and the beauty of this meal, and I pray that the Lord will minister it to your soul as we participate in just a moment. At this time, I'd like to ask the elders who will be serving to please come forward as we prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper. This meal is sacred and represents eternal truth to God's people. That Jesus Christ, when He said it is finished, He meant that it was. All righteousness had been accomplished. All that is necessary to satisfy the Father's holiness has been accomplished. Everything that needed to be spent for the payment of sins for His people has been accomplished. This meal represents that in bread and wine. It was given by the Lord Jesus as a gift to you and I as his church. It signifies to us the grace of the forgiveness of our sins, of our communion with God being restored, our relationship with him now fixed, not because of our good deeds or our groveling, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And he gives us new life, not new life one day, new life now that we might live and walk with him. The bread and the wine are signs. They are things that you see. They represent the body and the blood of Christ. But they are to be to you a spiritual means of grace that as you participate by faith in humility before the Lord, he communicates to you his presence, his love, his delight, his joy, and the sureness of all of his promises to you, his people. This is not a beggarly meal. This is a rich feast. May you feed upon Christ this morning. And maybe a, a good reminder that the efficacy, the, the, the way that this is powerful to you, is not through the words of the minister or which elder serves you, but is totally and completely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is by His grace that you receive it. It is His gift to you. I read now the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night that He was betrayed, He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, Take, eat, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It means that you are reminded in this meal. This is why I am called an adopted son or daughter of the living God. It's not my good intentions. It's not my good work. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacred death on my behalf. His suffering bought my freedom and my salvation. So I'm confident in it, not because of me, but because I'm continually reminded as I come to this supper He died that I might have life. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. It is my duty as a minister of the gospel to fence this table. It is a table meant for God's people. If you are a a member of a Bible-believing church in good standing, then this meal is for you. Come and receive the gifts of the Lord Jesus. It is not my table. It's not the table of the Presbyterian Church in America or even Lebanon Presbyterian Church. This is the table of the Lord Jesus. If you are resisting the Lord in some way, if you are participating in habitual sin and are unrepentant, you ought not come to this table. You should repent before the Lord, ask for forgiveness, and come the next time that we celebrate this meal in March. For our families of our covenant children, if they have not yet made public profession of faith, we ask that you please have them keep their hands at their sides, and they are participating by faith in your participation as a member of our covenant community. We do ask that if you're not a believer, that you don't participate. The scriptures are clear in their warning that this is a meal for God's children, for his grace, and we would love to speak with you if the Lord is working in your heart, calling you to repentance, if he is calling you to new life today, today is the day of salvation. We would love to please come speak with one of our elders after the service. We would love to speak with you and have you participate again next time. As a reminder, this is not a table for the perfect. This is not a table for people who have attained perfection in this life. None have. This is a meal for needy people. But I want to encourage you with these words Again from 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest he come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Let's go before the Lord now in silent confession, and I'll pray in just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we confess in your presence and in the presence of one another that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed many times already, even this day. We have offended against your holy laws and not done what is right in your sight. We pray that you would forgive us our sins, doing what we know we ought not to do and leaving undone things that we know we should do. We proclaim and confess in your presence that apart from your good work in us, there is nothing good. And right in us. We pray that you would set apart these elements of bread and the cup that we might rejoice in them and in your precious blood, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to participate by faith. It is our privilege to have our elders serve you. It is not because they are better than anyone else in the room, but because they have been called by God to serve this church faithfully. They are sinners, we are sinners (coughs) together, but we look to the Lord Jesus to serve in this church and to lead, and so it is our privilege to serve you. May you participate now by faith, feasting upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it in remembrance of me. Having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we're going to, just after the elders cover the table, we're going to stand and sing a hymn together just before we install our officers for this year. There is an insert in your bulletin for our last hymn. Let's stand together and sing. Just before we ask our officers the constitutional questions, I just wanted to briefly uh, share and explain uh, what it is that we have elders and deacons in the church. Why is it necessary and important that they be installed, that they be asked vows, and that they assent to those vows, that we as a church family also assent as well to their work among us. To be a, an elder or a deacon in the church is, has been uh, to be identified by God's people as those whom God has called. They also have a sense of an inward call to serve in the church, to be part of the leadership of the church. And both elder and deacon are spiritual offices whom God alone qualifies and God alone ordains in his church. To be an elder is to be a shepherd in the Lord's church. And really, among the qualifications, the only thing that is different between elder and deacon is that an elder is to be apt to teach, to open the scriptures, and to share the words of life, to be competent, to to look at the scriptures and to apply them to the lives of God's people. But the qualifications among elder and deacon are the same. There is no such thing in the church as the JV leadership being the deacons and the varsity being the elders. It is strictly a matter of calling and giftedness according to God's appointment in his church. The elders are to be the spiritual leaders of this church, Lebanon Presbyterian Church. They are to lead, to be out front, to be seen as examples. They are also to rule and be responsible for every aspect of ministry and life in this church family. And they are to serve dutifully as unto the Lord. To be a deacon is the exact same. Their calling is, is the exact same from the Lord Jesus himself, our true servant. Their skills and their abilities are used for different offices in the church, Different, a, a totally different set of skills and, and structure is given to be able to take care of the physical plant, the, the, the building and the grounds, to do things, many things that are unseen and maybe only things that you notice if they're not done. But they are to be servants of the Lord Jesus nonetheless. They are spiritual leaders in this church as well. So as we consider that this is Jesus' qualifications and these are his offices, it's important to remember that what we are doing this morning is sacred work, sacred business in the life of our church. These men will be taking vows before the Lord. There are very few times in the church that we see vows be taken in membership, in ordaining and installing to office, in, in marriage. And in calling a pastor, these are just a few of the times that we do this. It does not happen very often. So it is good to be reminded of why we do this and how sacred it is before the Lord. These are not words that we speak out loud only to ourselves. But it's also important, I believe, to honor those who have served well. In First Timothy chapter 3, it says to honor those who have served well. That a, an elder who labors well is to receive double honor. Amazing it is that the Lord Jesus shares his honor with us as mere men. So I I want to call out the names, forgive me for taking the time to do this, but I want to call out the names of the men who are rotating off after three faithful years of service, who are serving here this morning, Uh, ruling elders who are rolling off this year or at the end of last year, Mr. Vernon Awalt, Mr. Bobby Caldwell, and Mr. Jason Pope. Thank you, men, for your service as unto the Lord in this church and for serving his people faithfully and executing the office that the Lord has called you to. May you enjoy a year of rest and recharging and rejuvenation. And for our deacons, I would also like to read their names as well, men who are worthy of honor, who have labored well. Matt Caldwell and Benny Clowney, thank you, men, for serving for serving God's people, for doing so in ways that are sometimes unseen, and many times when some of us are not even here. We thank you, and we praise the Lord for all of you men. At this time, I'd like to call for the the men who will be installed today as officers. These men have already been ordained, Mr. D.V. Timms, Mr. Danny Caldwell, and Mr. Matthew Rambo. If you would please come forward. You will be installed in just a moment to the office of ruling elder after having been nominated and elected by your church family. And then also for the men who will be installed as deacons, Mr. Philip Rambo and Mr. Brady Hall. If you would please join us up front. I have some questions to ask you men. I think I might join you there if it's all right, um, just so I can look at you. I have some questions to ask you men, and then I'll have a question for our congregation, and then I will read a charge from the book of First Peter. So men, these questions are for you. I ask that you answer them loudly in the affirmative uh, as your conscience leads you. Question number one, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament As originally given to be the inerrant Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, do you? I do. Number two, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, that you will, on your own initiative, Make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow, do you? I do. Number three, do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity, do you? I do. Number four, do you accept the office of ruling elder, Danny and Devey and Matthew? And do you accept the office of deacon, Brady and Philip? In the church, and promise to faithfully perform the duties thereof, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life, and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Do you Amen. number five? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Amen. And number six, do you promise to strive for the peace, purity, unity and edification of the church, do you? I do. These men have already been elected, they've been ordained, so some of our process will be a little bit different this morning. But I do have a question for you, our congregation of Lebanon Presbyterian Church. Do you, the members of this particular church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elder and deacon, as is appropriate to their office? And do you promise to yield to them all honor honor encouragement and obedience in the Lord to which his office according to the word of God and the constitution of this church entitles him could you do so by please raising your right hand and saying a hearty I do I do I'm going to say a brief prayer and then then I'm going to read a, a short charge from God's word father in heaven we thank you for this day it is a reminder to us of your steadfast faithfulness to your church and to each of us individually. There are times when it's hard to see and difficult to be able to point out this is where God is working, but today we rejoice in seeing these men raised up to serve you again in your church. I thank you for each man who has labored and who has rolled off this year, that you would build them up in faith, that you would encourage their hearts after laboring for your kingdom. And I pray for these men who have just assented to these questions again, taking vows in your presence before the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them all encouragement and honor and joy in the work that you give them to do. And Lord, I pray for their wives and for their families as well, because they also labor with them, seeing them work. And I pray that you would strengthen their marriages, strengthen their relationships with their children, give them the energy and strength they need to serve this church faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to read a charge for both of you from 1 Peter chapter 5. But also I'd like to mention Matthew chapter 20 verse 26 where Jesus speaks about serving. And he says it's not to be so among us that we serve God's people in a way like the world would do leadership. That we are to serve as knowing the Lord Jesus is the one who wrapped a towel around his waist and went and washed the disciples' feet. We are to be servants first, all of us. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2-4, through 4, To our elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, serving as overseers, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, all of you. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Men, I am so thankful for each of you and delighted to be able to serve with you again in this new year. May the Lord strengthen you in this office and encourage all of us as we serve Him faithfully. Amen. Thank you. At this time now, we're also going to install our WIC officers for 2024. And I'll ask that the ladies uh, officers for this year please come forward at this time. going to read off the list of, of names for our, our officers for this year. For 2023-24, uh, for 20, uh, Miss Callie Tim served faithfully as our president, sir, uh, continues to serve this year. Our president-elect is Miss Deb Stuck, our vice president beginning this year, Miss Margie Clowney, our secretary, Miss Beth Joyner, our treasurer, Miss Crystal Smith. Our historian, Ms. Lily Caldwell, our nursery chairman, Ms. Catherine Bass, and for Christian outreach, Ms. Sandy Plowney. For Christian education, Ms. Deborah Gant, our missions chairman is Ms. Sally Cam, and our hospitality chairman, Ms. Candy Kingsmore. So these ladies are here having been uh, chosen by you, uh, our women in the church, to serve faithfully here. Uh, ladies, I'd like to uh, just say a thanks to each of you for being willing to serve, to love the Lord, to love God's people, and to serve in ways that sometimes are tiring and not that glamorous, but they are for God's glory, for His church, and for His people. I wanted to ask you uh, just a a question. If, according to your own understanding, that you agree and believe in in the Word of God being the Old and New Testament as it is given to us in the Scriptures, do you? Do you promise to give all of your devotion to this office that you are taking up and to serve the women in this church faithfully according to all the means of God's appointment for you? Do you? I do. And then I have a question for the ladies in our church. This is a a participation in this ministry together, so it is a, a question for the ladies to affirm. Please respond with a hearty, I do. If you do, do you promise to submit to each of these ladies in the work that they have been given, in the offices that they will fill for the glory of God in this next year. Do you? I
1: do.
0: Then I declare that you ladies have been regularly elected and installed as officers in the women in the church ministry here at Lebanon Presbyterian Church. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to your church in providing people to serve in providing people with gifts and skills and abilities to do all that you require. And I thank you, Lord, for everything that these ladies do, for the hard work that they have of leading in their home, being mothers and grandmothers, and leading in this church. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with joy and delight in the work that they have. Thank you for the way that they serve us as mothers, as moms, as wives, as grandmothers, Lord, I pray that you would give them the energy and the strength to do what they need to in this next year, that they would rejoice in this work that you have given. Thank you for our women. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, I'd like to also give you a brief charge from God's word, that you would be encouraged in the work that you are doing. This is spiritual work also. It is no different. That you would hide up God's word in your heart, according to Psalm 119, that you might not sin against God, that you would love your time with him. Psalm 119, that you would care for and love your own families, that you would also care for and love this family here at Lebanon Presbyterian Church, and that you would joy and delight in rejoicing in worship. This service is an act of worship as unto the Lord, and may we see that in your work and in your joy. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's stand together now and receive the benediction of our Lord. Our benediction today is from Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in His peace.